what we do here uh, during the sermon time at Haynes Creek is we walk verse by verse through books of the Bible, and we have been in the book of Philippians since about mid-August, um, and about mid-December we finished chapter two, and we, we left it at the end of chapter two. We took a couple weeks off with Christmas and New Year's, and then today we're going to continue that break. So we're going to take another two weeks off of Philippians. Uh, we're doing something a little different these next two weeks. I'll tell you about that in a second, but we will resume with Philippians chapter three, uh, starting January 21st. So for the next two Sundays, we're going to be doing something. We did this last year, um, and I think it's really important for us to, to have this moment each year as a church that we do these two weeks Vision Sunday. So that is today and next week. So Vision Sunday, we'll talk about what that means in a second, but we're doing something for the next two weeks, just Vision Sunday, talking more about who we are as a church, who God has called us to be as a church, and then what that means specifically for us in this new year in 2024. So that's this Sunday and next. So let, let, we'll dig into that in, in a moment. But uh, church, my, my, my two oldest, uh, most of y'all know them, Zayden and Livy. Zayden is in uh, second grade. He's eight years old. And Livy is in first grade. She's seven years old. And uh, we encourage them, you know, to try different sports out and different things, different activities that they want to do throughout the year. So uh, in the fall, Zayden played soccer and Livy did cheer. And then going into January, we're like, okay, what do you guys, what do you guys want to do? So we started talking about this with them a couple uh, months ago. And there's this uh, this church down the road from us that. Uh, three-year-old goes to preschool at, and, and they do these different sports programs all throughout the year. So they've got like soccer and flag football and basketball and cheerleading and t-ball and all that kind of stuff. So in January and February, they, they do basketball. So we were like, hey, do y'all want to do that? And, uh, and they said, yeah, absolutely. So they signed up to do basketball, which is, you know, just, it fills my heart with joy because that's my favorite sport. Um, I think I can make the argument that that's God favorite sport too. And if you want to know more about that, I, I'll talk to you afterwards. Just come find me. I'll tell you my theory on that. But anyways, I love it. And, and I was so excited for them. And then I signed up to coach their team as well. So we actually got started this Saturday. Um, on a Saturday morning, we had our very first practice. And, and when you know you have your first practice, the big thing is like, oh, let's just get to know who's there. So we've got these nine kids ranging from ages six to eight. Most of them are six. And they're just these little kids. They're so cute. They were adorable. It was so much fun. We had a great time. But what we found out quickly is me and this other dad that's coaching the team. And what we found out quickly is, is nobody has any experience with this. Like nobody had done this before except the other coach's son. He was the other eight-year-old. So it's my son and his son. Those are the only two eight-year-olds. Everybody else is, there's two that are seven and the rest are six years old. None of them have ever played organized basketball before. So, and that, that we found that out very quickly as they started dribbling and shooting and the balls are going everywhere and we're getting whacked in the face and, and everything like that. So we just like, let's get back to the basics, right? Let's talk about dribbling and passing and shooting and like just getting to the fundamentals. And that's really what we realized. Like we got to spend the, the first few practices getting to the basics. And church, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to get back to the foundational core truths of who we are as a church, who has God called, not just us, right? Like it's not just Haynes Creek. We, we are a part of the larger work and mission of God going on across the globe. And, and we want to ask the question, we want to settle in, who has God called us to be? What has he called us to do? What are we to, to, to seek to accomplish as a church? And that's where we get into to vision, and we talk about vision a lot, right? Like you go to any church and they'll, they'll have their vision or mission statement printed up on places. It'll be on their website. They'll talk about vision a lot. Yeah, you read any kind of business or leadership book, it'll talk about vision all the time. So we use that word a lot. And a lot of times, even in the church, I've, I've heard that used a lot. And it's like, we need to cast a vision, cast a vision. What's the vision? What's your vision? What's your, what's your mission? 
And I always kind of walk away sometimes going, okay, yes, I agree we need to have a vision, but like, what, what do you mean by that? And a lot of times it's not clearly defined. So first, we need to define terms, right? We need to be on the same page about what it means to say this is our church's vision. Like, what does that actually mean? And for us as a church, right, we don't want to draw a vision or a mission from worldly, cultural, even business leadership principles, even if they're wise and they're good and they're helpful. We want to first build on the foundation of Scripture, and thankfully, vision is a scriptural term. It's, it's found in your Bible. It's found frequently, especially in the Old Testament. It's a word that typically means revelation. And it's a revelation, it's a word from God communicated to his people. Sometimes through a mediator like a prophet or somebody like that, where they're either writing things down or they're giving oracles and speeches, but they are communicating a vision, a revelation from God to his people. We see this in, in Habakkuk 2, verse 2. It says, The Lord answered me, write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on the tablet so no so one may easily read it. Now what's what's the vision? It's the entire prophetic book of Habakkuk. It's the words that God is giving Habakkuk to communicate to God's people. That's the vision. First Samuel 3 1. When the the boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence, in those days the word of the Lord was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. That word visions there, again, is a revelation from God communicated to the people through the prophets. Proverbs 29, 18 is one of the more popular verses out there for the word vision. It says, without revelation, and that, that's the same word for vision. That's the same word throughout your Old Testament used for vision, and a lot of times it's translated vision. I use the Christian standard version, so here they use revelation. But without revelation, without vision, people run wild. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. Now look, what's contrasted there is, is a vision, a revelation, and you can either run wild or you can follow the Lord's instruction. The Lord's instruction and vision are, are tied together there. That's how we understand vision. Vision is the Lord's instruction. It is his words communicated to us on how we are to live our lives. And how does God communicate his vision, his revelation to us today? It's through Scripture. It's through Scripture. So when we talk about what's the vision for the church, what's Haynes Creek's vision, what's your vision statement, what's that? We got to start with scripture. We got to start here. And again, thankfully, God tells us exactly who we're to be and what we're supposed to do. And all we got to do is say, sounds great, God, let's do that. Like we don't have to come up with our own stuff. God clearly tells us what he wants us to do through the word. He gives us clear vision, clear revelation for the church. And look, here, here's the thing. Let me just say this before we move on. With, when it comes to vision, because again, th that word's thrown out a lot. We talk about that a lot. When it comes to vision, we don't start with our ideas. We don't start with our preferences. We don't start with our creativity, our knowledge, our business inside, our leadership know-how. We don't, we don't start there. We start with God's word. We start with God's word. And look, uh, the vision for the church, vision is not a motivational tactic, right? Like, that's not the purpose of the vision. And I hear that a lot, like, wow, man, if the church just gave us a compelling vision, something that really motivated us, man, we'd jump in, we'd be on board. Look, if, if y'all are looking for something more creative, more motivational than the world, I'm just going to tell you, you're at the wrong church. I, I got nothing else but this. This is what I have for you. This is what we try to communicate to you week in and week out. It doesn't get any better than this. So if you're something else, I want you, all right, you're going to be let down. 
So this is where we start. This is where we go. It's not a motivational tactic. It's not a business strategy. Does vision include strategy? Yes, God's word includes things on how we're supposed to live, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So yes, it does give us strategy, but that's not the end-all be-all. It's not a church growth strategy either. It's not like, well, if you have a great, awesome, motivationally compelling vision, man, the church is going to grow and it's going to explode, right? I know churches that have awesome vision statements that aren't really all that healthy. And I know churches that barely have a functioning website that are booming with growth, right? Like, one does not equal the other, okay? So when it comes to vision, we start with God's Word, and we go from there. So that's what we're going to do today. And thankfully, again, God tells us clearly what our vision is supposed to be. And it's the same for Haynes Creek as it is for all other churches across the globe. And I believe God's vision for the church, for his people, can be boiled down to three commands that we find in Scripture— Three really important key passages found in the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. So let me read that for us, and that's going to be our building blocks for everything that we're going to talk about today, okay? So let me read that for us, and this is what's going to inform the vision of Haynes Creek. So at the end of this little few minutes here, you'll be able to clearly say the vision of Haynes Creek is blank, all right? So let's, let's start here and go from there, all right? So first one, the Great Commandment, it's found in Matthew 22, verse 34. It says, When the Pharisees heard that he, that's Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they came together. And one of them, an expert in the law, asked a a question to test him. You're trying to trap Jesus, trap God with the Bible. that's That's a bad idea, okay? That does not work well. So he's trying to trap him, trying to test him, and he says, Teacher, which commandment is, which command is, is in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the prophets, all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Okay, so what Jesus just told us is that everything in Scripture right here can be summarized with these two things. Love God, love people. Love God with everything. Give him everything. Love him with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Give him him everything. Love God with everything and love your neighbor. Love those around you. Love people as much as you love yourself. Those are the two greatest commandments. Those are the two things. Man, if we do those things, we are, we are, we are following God's word. We're following God's word. So, so the, that, those are two building blocks. And the third one comes from what's called the Great Commission. And that is found in Matthew 28. If I can find it, there we go. Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. There's some of Jesus' final words before he ascends into heaven after his resurrection. It says this, verse 18. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So there's... There's our mission, right? Like, there's our marching orders. That's what we are supposed to be accomplishing as the church. We are called and commanded to go throughout the world and make disciples, right? We're to be people that love God, that love others, and go and make more people that love God and love others, right? That's what it means to make disciples. We tell people about Jesus. We teach people about Jesus. We baptize people in the name of Jesus. That's what we are to do. So God's vision and mission for the church is, is that is to love God, love people, and make disciples. And because I'm not creative, that's our vision statement. That's who we're supposed to be as a church. So you all got this card, and we're going we're gonna to reference this a lot throughout our time today. 
All right, so, so keep this handy. If you didn't get one, we've got some more on the table in the hallway there. But, but this is our, our vision statement and broken down into how we accomplish this, okay? So just to be clear, again, what's the vision for the church at Haynes Creek? If you find yourself wondering or asking or somebody asks you, hey, what's the vision for your church? It's this. We exist to love God, love people, and make disciples. That's why we're here. That's why we started this church. That's why we want to, by God's grace, continue this church for decades and decades into the future. It's so that we can be a group of people in this area, loving God, loving others, and making disciples. That's who we're to be. That's what we're called to do. And that's what we're trying to do here. That's our goal. That's our, you know, our, our why, why we exist. It's to do this. It's to be this kind of church, these kind of people that love God, love people, and make disciples. Okay, so again, because I want to be clear, I don't want to just leave that with you. I want to talk about how we seek to actually accomplish that as a corporate body of believers. So um, if we got that uh, discipleship map, let's put that up there. We're going to bring this up a lot. And again, this is the card in front of you. So again, in the center, we have our three big statements, right? Love God, love people, make disciples. That's the core of who we are. And then on the surrounding sides of that, along the edges, you see eight different action steps. Eight, eight action steps or behaviors. These are things that, that I believe if we do these eight things, if we do them consistently, if we seek to do them really well, if we seek to do them according to Scripture, I believe if we live these eight things out, we will accomplish the vision that God has called us to. We will be a group of people. We will be a body of believers, a church that loves God, loves people, and make disciples if we're doing these eight things. All right, so those are personal devotion, joyful generosity, corporate worship, reaching our neighbors, reaching the nations, relational discipleship, serving the church, serving the community. And we're going to spend the next few minutes breaking down exactly what we mean by that, okay? So that's what we're going to do with our time today. That's who we are as a church, right? It all boils down to these things, these core truths, these, these beliefs, these commands, these action steps. And they all, they're all centered and based and founded upon Scripture, right? Like we're not making any of this stuff up. All we're doing is we're taking clear command, commands from God that he calls the church to do, and we're just trying to apply that to our lives, right? So that's what we're going to do. Uh, for the rest of our time, I just want to walk through this and talk about more specifically what it means. All right, so let's go to, to love God. Love God. We're going to start there. We're going to start with loving God. That's the first thing. And again, with, with Jesus, he says that's, that's the first and greatest thing, right? That's the first and greatest commandment that we can do. What's the biggest, most important thing for us? It's to do that. It's to love God with everything, with all of us, with, with, with everything that we have, all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Like that's what those, those words point to. It's everything about who you are, everything that you have. We are to love God with that. Now, we've got to be clear here because we, we use that word love a lot, right? Like, we throw it around a lot in a different ways and with different things, right? Like, I can tell you I love my wife and my kids. But at the same time, I can also tell you that I love basketball and tacos. Now, do I love those things the same? No, of course not. Are they equal? No, of course not. There's, there's a tiered system, right? Like, you can have maybe your family at the top and your friends or, or people in your lives or whatever. And then you can also love things like your hobbies and your job and, and the possessions that God has blessed you with. Like, it's okay to say that you love your house or you love your car. Like, those are, those are fine to say. But, but again, the problem is when those tiers kind of get messed up and things get elevated one over the other and all that kind of stuff. And then, like, where do we put God, right? Like, where do we put God? Is God, like, just supposed to be up at the top? Is he just supposed to be the thing that we we love most, the person that we love most, I would say 
I would say yes, but I think, I think there's more to it than that. I don't think it's just that we love God the most, right? It's not that we just rank him first. It's that God needs to be at the center of everything about us. That's what it means to love God. That's what it means to walk in obedience to this command. If we want to love God with our heart and our soul and our mind, it means that God is at the very center of everything about us. All of who we are and all of what we do is centered around loving God and giving him full devotion. So how do we love God this way? How do we love God? Well, there's three parts to this that I want to just briefly point out. So how do we love God? We love God with our head, our heart, and our hands. We love God with our head, our heart, and our hands. So first part about loving God is we love God with our mind. If we're going to love God, we have to learn about him. That's one of the steps to discipleship. When Jesus says, hey, go make more disciples, one of the things I want you to do, teach them about me. Tell them about me. Teach them things, right? This is why it's important why we encourage you to study scripture and dig deep into scripture and that don't just, you know, read one verse a day and just call it good. No, we want to dig deep and seek to really understand it so that we can apply it to our lives, right? We want to build a knowledge of God. We want to study theology and doctrine and, and things like that. Like that's all really important. And that's why we, we walk verse by verse through books of the Bible is because we want to soak in Scripture. We don't want to just breeze over things, man. We want to point out, like, hey, this, this matters. Hey, that confusing verse, like, here's what that means. Here's what that's talking about. Hey, that confusing doctrine that kind of scares us. Like, we don't need to be afraid of that. Here's what that means. Let's talk about that. Like, we want to dig into everything about who God is. We want to learn about God. We want to fill our head with knowledge about God. Why? Because it helps us love Him, Right? Think about the people that you're closest to in your life. Does, does knowing more information about them help you love them better? Yes. I mean, we just passed Christmas. Like, it helps to know the people you love and care about when you're purchasing a gift for them or trying to show them that you love them. Like, you, you want to know and understand them. You want to know what speaks to them and what, what would show them how much you love them, right? So knowledge should and usually does help us love more and love deeper. It's the same with God. The more we build in our knowledge, the more we understand, the more we know about God, it should lead us to love him. So we love God with our head. We also love God with our heart. This knowledge of God can't just stay there. The hope is that it sinks down deep into our hearts and then just kind of permeates everything else about us, right? So when we talk about loving God with everything, what we mean by that is, is that there's this desire and motivation to it. We should want to love God with everything. We should desire to love God with everything. And when we get to that point, that's when we're loving God the way that he's called us to. Right? We don't, you know, if you told your spouse today, husbands, if you looked your wife in the eyes just now and said, man, I love you because that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. How do you, th- how do you think that's going to go over? I mean, you better duck once you say that, right? Like, that's not going to go over very well. When we, when we are forced to love or obligated to love, or that's the only way or reason why we love is because well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just obligated. I have to do this. Like, that's not really helpful. That's not really love. That's not genuine. That's not true. That's not deep, heartfelt love. It's the same when it comes to God. We, we, we shouldn't love God because, well, you know, I have to. I'm obligated to. Well, I'm commanded to, so I better just obey it. No, there's, there has to be a desire there, a want to. And that's what we're talking about here. We, if we're, and look, here's the thing. If, if we're struggling in this area of, of desiring to love God, of wanting to love God, of having a, a devotion to God, typically, typically, if we're struggling with that, typically it means that we've elevated something above God in our lives. We've taken God out of the center and we've put something else there. 
Now, look, there's no shortage of things to put there, right? The Bible calls those things idols. Anything that we love more than God becomes an idol. Anything that we live for more than God becomes an idol. And look, they can be good things, right? It can be our family. It can be our kids. It can be our jobs. It can be other things like money, materials, possessions. It could be worldly acclaim or, or acceptance and approval from other people. Like, there's, there's no shortage of idols that we can fill in that spot. And that's the first question we've got to ask ourselves, man. If we are struggling to have that desire, that want to for God, we've got to ask ourselves a hard question, man. Is there something else there? Is there something that I've put in that position in God's place? Have I taken him off the throne of my life and I've, I've put something else there? So we love God with our heart. We love God with full devotion. And then we love God with our hands. And here we're talking about obedience. So again, love can't just stay in our head knowledge. We want it to sink down into our hearts. And then once our hearts get captivated for God, once we start really loving God and giving him full devotion and wanting to live for him, man, then that's going to filter out into how we live our lives. That's going to affect our actions and our behaviors. So that's, that's the process, right? The more we learn about God, the more we love God with our heart, the more we're devoted to him, and the more we live for him in active obedience. Jesus says this in John 14, 21. He says, The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and reveal myself to him. So Jesus ties these two things together. He ties loving him and living for him together. If we truly love him, we will walk in obedience to him. We will follow his ways. We will do what he's called us to do, and we will do it with joy, right? Because we want to. We desire him more than anything else. So that's how we love God. We love God with our head, our hearts, and our hands. All right, so what does that look like for us as a church? How do we do that as a church? Let's put that discipleship mat back up there. So what are our action steps here that, that can help us grow in our love for God? It's personal devotion corporate worship, and joyful generosity. So let's talk about those for a minute. The first one there is personal devotion. And that's really where it starts. If we're going to be a church that loves God deeply in the ways that he's called us to, we have to be individual Christians, individual people who love God the way that he's called us to. And the way we do that, the way we cultivate that love for God is in our personal devotional time with him. I love what Jesus says in John 15. He says, John 15, verses 4 through 6, says, Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I in him, produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch, and he withers. They gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So how do we... How do we grow in our love for God? We stay close with Jesus. We stick close to Jesus. We abide in him. And that word abide just means to remain, to stay with him, to be with him. And this is why we talk all the time about the importance of reading and studying scripture, y'all. We need that every day. We need to be spending daily time in the Word. We need to be spending time in prayer. We need to be spending time meditating on Scripture, right? All these different spiritual disciplines that we talk about so often, these avenues of God's grace that He gives us to draw close to Him, and we need to, we need to jump in on those. Spend time with Jesus. That's how we grow in our love. And we know that, right? We know that in our relationships. If we want to be close with somebody, you've got to spend time with them. You've got to talk with them. You've got to be with them, 
It's the same when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. If we want to be close with him, we want to love him the way that he's called us to, we got to spend time with him. Spend time in the word. Spend time in prayer. So personal devotion, this is so important for us as a church. And, and as a church, we want to, you know, a part of my job as a pastor and our job as elders is to help you grow in this, right? So that's why we do different things and discipleship and all this kind of different stuff. These are all, and even, you know, corporate worship on Sunday, which we're going to talk about. These are ways that we can draw closer to Jesus, that we can grow in our love for God, right? So it starts there. And then the second thing I just mentioned it is, is corporate worship. Corporate worship, look, this, this matters, right? This time matters, the church is, is called and, and commanded to do a bunch of different things. But one of the most important, the primary thing that makes us a church and not just some other nonprofit Christian organization out there is this. It's the corporate gathering. It's the coming together as God's people. This is what makes us a church, right? You take this away, then we're just a bunch of people that like hanging out together, which is fine. And maybe we'll even accomplish really cool stuff in the name of Jesus. That's great too. We're not a church. We're not a church at that point. What God does with the church is he takes believers and he puts them together in a local place and he says, worship together. Be together in community. Study the word together. Study me together. Be together. That's the church. And that's why this corporate gathering matters. And look, we don't call you to, to come to church on Sundays and to make this a priority just to puff up our numbers and be like, oh, hey, look, look how many people we had today. Like, that's not what we're doing. We want you here, and we want you here week in and week out because this time matters. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us do not neglect meeting together. And does that include times throughout the week? Yes, but it primarily speaks to this time right here, this corporate gathering together as body of believers. So we want you here because it matters. Because when we come here, we get to worship God together, not just as individuals, right? It takes us away from our individualized Christian mindset that we fall into so often. And it's just about me and my relationship with Jesus. And it reminds us, man, no, I am part of a body. I'm part of a corporate gathering, a local gathering that is also part of a global gathering of Christians everywhere. This time matters. We worship God together. We get to see and encourage and build relationships with one another. We get to pray for one another. We get to study God's word together and grow in our devotion together. This time matters. So I want to encourage you, as we seek to love God as a church, let's make this moment a priority. Let's make this time a priority. And church, that's our commitment. Like We want to do this as best as we can with all the excellence, not, again, to puff ourselves up and to say, look at us, but because God deserves that. That is how we glorify him. That's how we honor his name and what he's done for us. This time matters matters. Make it a priority, church. And look, here's what I'll say, and this is a terrible church growth strategy. Look, I, this is what I'll say. If you don't want to be here week in and week out, if you're just like, oh, don't want to do that, find some place where you can. If that's not here, find somewhere that you can do that. And look, here's my commitment to you because I love you. I'll help you find it. I'll help you find a place. Not because I want you to go. I want you all to say, look, we, look, we need all the people we can get. Let's just be honest. Let's just be real, right? We can be honest with each other. We need all the people we can get. We, we, we should not be in the business of, of having anybody leave. We don't, we don't want that. But if you can't be plugged in here, and if this is not where the Lord has you, don't try to force it. Y'all, that's miserable. Okay, that's just miserable. Let me, 
Let me encourage you, man. Be where God has you. If that's here, awesome. Jump two feet in, be here. If that's somewhere else, jump two feet in there and be there. And look again, I'll, I'll help you find an awesome church. I mean, there's, there's no shortage of awesome, God-glorifying, gospel-preaching churches out there, okay? All right, again, that's a terrible church growth strategy, but we need to be honest. All right, so corporate worship matters. And then joyful generosity. Look, one of the ways that we show God that we demonstrate our love for him is how we use the money that he's given us, how we use the resources he's given us. And what does God call us to do with the resources that he's given us? He calls us to be generous with it. This is what 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7 says. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That word for cheerful is where we get our word hilarious from. God loves a hilarious giver. Like, he wants us to be so joyful in our generosity that it just brings a big old smile to our face. That's what God calls us to be. He wants us to be generous with all that he's blessed us with, and that includes our finances. Jesus tells us one of the ways that, that, that we know that we love him, you can look at this in Matthew chapter 6, is that our heart does not love treasure more than Jesus, that our heart does not love our money more than Jesus. I mean, you want to know if you're honoring God? Look at your bank account. Look at your bank account. Look at your finances. That'll show you how you're loving God and how you're demonstrating your love for him. So we're to be generous, and one of the ways God has called us to be generous is towards the church and the work of the gospel. Acts 4, 34-35 says, For there was not a needy person among them, because all of those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed to each person as any had need. There is this pattern that we see from the early stages, the beginning stages of the church, of people being generous towards the church and the work of the gospel so that the gospel and the kingdom of God can advance so that people's needs can be met, so that people can be ministered to. That's one of the, this is what the church is called to do, right? So this is why we give, right? This is why we tithe. This is why we give offerings. This is why we encourage you to give in any way that you see fit. And, and again, it, it, 2 Corinthians 9, there's not a, a, a certain amount that you have to give. Like, you, you go with what God tells you. you. You give according to what he's laid on your heart. But we are called to give. So again, if this is your church, if you're here and you're not giving, I just want to encourage you, take that step. Take that step. This is part of how we live for God. This is part of how we honor him. This is part of how we love God as a church is we give generously, including to the work and the advancement of God's mission and kingdom. Okay, so that's love God. Those are our three behaviors on how, like, how are we going to do this? What does it look like for us as a corporate body? We, we spend time with Jesus, personal devotion time. We gather together corporately, and we give joyfully. All right, number two, love people. Love people. This is the second part of the command, right? Jesus asks, hey, what's the greatest command? He's like, actually, there's two. There's two commands. You love God with everything, and you love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And who's your neighbor? It's anybody and everybody that you come in contact with. It is, it is everybody. It is all people. We are called to love people as much as we love ourselves. Now, what does that look like? And again, thankfully, Scripture answers it. And if you want to know exactly what this looks like, go to Luke chapter 10 and look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm not going to read that whole thing for us right now, but I'll summarize it. So if you're familiar with it all, or if you're not, this is what happens. So there's this guy who's traveling, and he gets beat up and robbed and left for dead on the side of the road. So he's there just struggling, fighting for his life, and all of a sudden this priest comes by. Priest looks at him, and is like, nope, I'm out. Walks away, walks around him. Then a Levite comes, and those guys were like the 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 
assistant to the priest kind of thing. Like, that's who they were. They, they walk by. He sees this guy in need, and he's like, nope, don't want any part of that, and walks around too. And then here comes this Samaritan. And I love that Jesus picked a Samaritan because the Jews hated Samaritans, and they thought they were all wicked and evil and horrible people. And here's a Samaritan, and what does he do? It says that he sees this guy and is filled with compassion. He has compassion on him. He comes to him. He comes to his aid. He uses his own resources to kind of bandage him up and help him with his wounds. He puts him on his, you know, whether it was a donkey or horse, some kind of animal, he puts him on that, and he takes him to a local inn. And he pays for him to stay at this inn so he can rest up and heal up. And he, and he gives the innkeeper money and resources to help care for him and says, hey, if you spend more than this, let me know. Keep a tab, and I'll come and pay this off. Take care of this guy. So what does this teach us about loving people? It teaches us that the way we love is with compassion, action, and sacrifice. We love with compassion, action, and sacrifice. Compassion is where it starts, right? The Samaritan, what what led him to do what he did was he saw this guy and was immediately filled with compassion, which means his heart was filled with love and care for this guy. And again, it was a complete stranger. He didn't know this person. He just saw somebody in need and was like, oh man, that guy's in need. Somebody needs to help him. He was filled with compassion and care and concern for him. That's where love for others starts. If we're going to love people, love others the way that God has called us to, we have to have compassion for people. We have to see people and love them and be filled with this deep concern for what happens in their lives. So we have to be filled with compassion. The second thing is is action, right? It can't just stay with compassion, right? The Samaritan just saw that guy and was like, oh, that's bad. Oh, man. Sorry, man. Feel you. Sorry. Good luck with that. I feel bad for you. Wish you didn't have that happen, but man, I got stuff to do. Is that, is that really loving? I mean, it's like, it's, it's partial, right? Like, he took a step. He, like, actually seems to care, genuine care and concern, but doesn't do anything about it. And we know that to be the case in our own lives, right? We can't just say that we love somebody and then do nothing about it, right? Again, how would that work in your marriage? How would that work with your kids? How would that work in relationship with other people? You just say you love them and then do nothing at all to show them that. At some point, people are going to be like, mm, I don't think you really love me. I don't really think that. I don't know. You say that, but I don't believe you. So our compassion has to lead us to action. So our, our heart and our care and our love and our concern for people has to lead us to actually do something about that. And that's exactly what the Samaritan did, right? He cared for this guy. And we're called to do the same. We're to have deep care and concern for people in our lives and those that we come in contact with and everybody, really, to the point where we actually want to do something about it and act on that love and care and compassion. And then the third part of love is sacrifice. True, genuine, biblical love is going to require sacrifice. I mean, look at all what the, the Samaritan sacrificed. This guy was on a journey. He had some place to be, Right? And he stopped all that. He paused all that he had going on. He's put a stop to his to-do list so that he could help this guy. He sacrificed his time. He sacrificed his own resources to help this guy out. He sacrificed money and a lot of it to care for this complete stranger. If we are going to love God the way that he's called us to, it is going to lead us to sacrifice. We're going to have to sacrifice our time, our talent, our treasure. Like that, that's, God's going to lead us to do that. And that's what biblical, true, gospel-centered love is. It's a love that is built on compassion, action, and sacrifice. So again, what does that look like for us as a church? How do we do that as a church? Well, we got two action steps. Can we put that back on the screen? 
So we've got two action steps associated with loving people. We want to serve the church, and we want to serve the community. Again, because love has to be demonstrated. It has to be shown. It has to be lived out. And one of the primary ways we do that is through serving. One of the primary ways we show people that we care about them, again, is through action and sacrifice, and that requires service. So we want to center this around serving. We want to serve the church. We are called all throughout the New Testament to use our gifts, our talents, our passion, our time, our treasure to serve one another inside the church, to serve other believers in the context of the local church. Every passage there is about spiritual gifts is within the context of using those gifts inside the local church. So we start there. We start there, and Jesus even confirms this. Jesus says this in John 13. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another. That's not a new command. That's been in the Old, uh, Old Testament in the Bible forever, right? Like, that's not a new command, but Jesus says this because he's like, this is important, y'all. Pay attention. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I love that Jesus said, you want to you show the world that you're a disciple, that you follow Jesus, they're going to recognize your love for Jesus by how you treat each other within the church. And that's why, like, any kind of division and disunity within the church is such a horrible thing. Because that's not a good witness. That's not how we love people, right? That's why Paul constantly tells us to bear with one another, put up with each other, and forgive each other, right? Because he knows we're going to make each other angry. He knows we're going to drive each other crazy. But he doesn't want that to bring disunity to the church. This matters. This is important. So how do we show the world that, we, that we're following Jesus? We love each other. And again, we demonstrate that love through service. We are to serve one another in the church, right? We're to do this, you know, organically within just our relationships. I and mean, as you get to know people, as you hear people's story, there's going to be times where it's like, hey, somebody needs help, right? Maybe it's they, they need help moving or they, they have a baby and they need some meals or there was, you know, a, a death in the family and they need some, some meals or whatever. Like people, will, there will be needs, right? And we have this opportunity through just relationships and conversations to step up as the church and meet those needs. And then we also want to do it, you know, corporately as the church, which is why we have volunteer teams, right? This is why we rely heavily on volunteers here is because it allows us as the people of God to exercise our time and our talents and our gifts for the work of ministry. Y'all, I don't know if you know this, but all of this happens because of volunteers, right? There's only so much I can do. There's only so much Johnny can do. We're the only two paid people here. Like, we're the ones that are, that are paid staff members. We can't do it all. We rely heavily on you guys. And we're grateful for that. Like, all this stuff gets set up by volunteers. Sound, all the stuff that you see on the screen, it's done by volunteers. Our kids' ministry, done by volunteers. Our coffee, made by volunteers. All this is done by volunteers. Sunday school, led by volunteers. Community groups, led by volunteers. We rely on volunteers. We need you, church. We need your help. Thank you for, let me just say, thank you to those that do serve. Man, we, again, we cannot do this without you. And you know, let me say this too, if this is your church and you're not yet serving, let me invite you into that. Invite you into this, this opportunity to love one another and demonstrate that we love one another. And look, I can say this with full honesty all the time around here. We need your help. Like we actually need all the volunteers that we can get. They're, they're, we're, we're far from a time where I could say, you know what, we're good. We're good. And there's some churches that say we need volunteers, but it's like, eh, you don't really need them. I mean, you're, you're fine. No, we're 
Okay, we're not. And they tell you not to do this. Like, again, this is a terrible church growth strategy, but it doesn't matter. We want to be honest here. Like, we need all the help that we can get. If you're not serving, first of all, we need you. Second of all, this is what God has called you to do. He's given you time. He's given you talents. He's given you passions and experience and resources and gifts, spiritual gifts, so that you can exercise them within the local church. So if you're not serving, man, let me know. I'd love to have a conversation with you and help get you plugged in and, and on the team that, that will best fit your passions and skill sets and all that kind of stuff. Like, we've got plenty of places to serve. So please, come find me. Let me know. I would love to help you do that. So we serve the church, and then we also serve the community, right? Our love is not supposed to stay within these walls. It's not supposed to stay within the church. The love that we have for one another is supposed to spill out into the community around us, into the world around us. So we as a church, you know, corporately together, we want to be constantly looking for opportunities. Man, how can we serve the community around us? How can we meet the needs of people around us? There's a, there's a family. And like, this is what we did at Christmas. There were multiple families that, that you guys generously bought Christmas gifts for that otherwise would not have Christmas gifts. And it's like, do you, do you really need these things? No, but it's fun to do that, right? It's special for these people, and it's a way to bless them and show them, and we love you, and we care about you. Like, we're constantly looking and finding ways to meet tangible, real needs and serve the community around us. And church, we're going we're to continue to do that, right? In 2024 and beyond, we're going to continue to find ways to serve the community because it matters. We're called to love not just one another in the church, but the world around us. And we do that through serving. So we want to serve the community. So again, if we're going to love people the way that we're called to love people, we're going to do this by serving one another inside the church and serving the community outside the church. All right, and our make disciples. Last one, make disciples. Let me read again Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Such an important passage for us. It says this again, verse 18. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So this is our mission, church. This is how we we apply that loving God, loving people. We do it through making disciples. It is one of the primary things that we are called to, to do. These are God's marching orders for the church. All right, if God had a mission statement for the church, it'd be this. Go therefore and make disciples. Make Jesus known across the globe. That's what we're called to do. And look, I love this because what we see in the New Testament, and so that's why I love the book of Acts, because the book of Acts clearly shows this, is that the way God primarily accomplishes this mission is through the local church. It's through the local church. God wants to accomplish worldwide evangelism and discipleship through the local church. We see this in several different places, but Ephesians 3 is one of them. Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 11 says, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints. This is Paul writing. The least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church. Through the church, to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
So God's eternal purpose of saving his people is accomplished how? Through the church. It's through the church that we proclaim the mystery of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. He does it through the church. We accomplish this through the local church. So, so again, how, how do we do this? What, is this? what does this look like for us? Well, we make disciples uh, by doing a couple of different things here. One, displaying and, declaring, uh, displaying and declaring the gospel. Excuse me. We make disciples by displaying and declaring the gospel. So we talked about displaying already. Like that's how we, we want to get out in the world. We want to get out in the community and serve people and, and love people and meet needs and all that kind of stuff. Like we can, we can display who Jesus is and the gospel and the love and the grace of Jesus in a whole bunch of different ways. But we can't just leave it there, right? We can't just display. We also have to declare. We don't want to leave people wondering, well, well, why did they serve me? Why did they buy my kids Christmas gifts? Why did they pay my electric bill? Why did they help me move or help pay my rent or whatever it is that we're doing? Like, we don't want to leave them wondering why we did those things. No, we want to declare why we do that is because of Jesus. We do it because of Jesus, because he loved us first, because he sacrificed his life for us, because he gives us grace upon grace upon grace. And we want to extend that to you. We do all of this. We love you this way. We do these things because of Jesus. Right? We want to display the gospel, and we want to declare the gospel. Church, it is, it, is not, it is not share the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Okay? It's always necessary. Always necessary to use words. That's like saying hey, we're to feed the hungry or to help the hungry always, and if necessary, use food. Guess what? If you've got a hungry person, what do they need? They need food. They need food. They will always need food. People need to be displayed the gospel and declared the gospel. We always use words. It is always necessary, church. We are to display and declare the gospel. We show people Jesus and we tell people about Jesus. We share the gospel. We share the truth of Jesus with people. That's what we're called to do. This is what evangelism is. That's evangelism, right? It's displaying and declaring the gospel to those around us. So we need to look for opportunity. How can we build relationships, build bridges to those in our lives and where we are so that we can display the gospel to them and declare the gospel to them? And then the other part is, is discipleship, right? And this is a big church word bucket that we kind of dump a lot of stuff in. But essentially, discipleship is just helping people grow in their love and their faith and their knowledge of Jesus. Right? It's what Jesus says, go and make disciples, teaching them everything about me. Discipleship is, is teaching and telling people, here's who Jesus is, here's what Jesus has done, and here's what we're called to do. Here's what we're called to be, right? That's what discipleship is. It's, it's helping one another grow in our faith and our knowledge and our love of Jesus, helping us in sanctification, right, in becoming more like Jesus. And again, the church leads the way in this. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 says this, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown about by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the teachings of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. I mean, do you see that? 
You see that we, we all have an individual part to play. And why? To build one another up. To help one another grow. To help one another mature. That's discipleship, church. That's what it means to make disciples, is to do those things. To serve our part, to serve our role in helping us grow. In helping us be more and more like Jesus. So what does that look like? How do we display and declare the gospel? How do we do discipleship as a church? We're going to, let's pull up the map. We got three things to make disciples. How we want to do this is we want to reach our neighbors, reach the nations, and we want to participate in relational discipleship. So let's talk about what that means. First, we want to reach our neighbor. This is what Acts 1.8 says. This is, again, Jesus' words. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We need to pay attention to the order there, church. Jesus calls all of us to be his witnesses, to go into the world and tell other people about Jesus. That's what that means. And where do we start? He tells his disciples, residing in Jerusalem, to start in Jerusalem. Now, of course, Jesus wants them to go all across the globe, right? He even says that, to the ends of the earth. But they start close to home. Church, we're to follow that same pattern. We are to start close to home. When it comes to making disciples, when it comes to going to the nations, we start first with our neighbors. We start first with those that are close to home. Of course we reach the nations. Talk about that in a second. Of course we do that. But we cannot focus on global worldwide missions at the cost of local missions, of reaching our neighbors. God has placed you in a house, on a street, in a neighborhood, in a community, in a city for a reason. He's placed you around those neighbors for a reason. He has you working in the place that you work with the people that you work with for a reason. You know, we, are, we are people of routine, right? He has you in those routines, going to the same places throughout the week, shopping at the same places throughout the week, getting your groceries at the same time each week for a reason. And that reason is for us to look around and see, man, where, where am I supposed to display and declare the gospel? Who can I build a relationship with and tell them about Jesus and invite them to, to be a part of this community, right? Like, that's what he's called us to do. We start with those that are close. We start with our neighbors. Who do you live around? Who do you work with? Who are your friends, your family, the people around you that need to hear Jesus, that need to be shown the love and the grace and the care of Jesus Christ. We start there, church. We start in our Jerusalem. Man, I love that he's got our Jerusalems kind of all spread out over this county and beyond, right? That, that's, again, that, that's for a reason. That's for a purpose. It's because God wants us to reach those people. He wants us to reach our neighbor. He's called us to do that. Discipleship starts there. Let's reach our neighbor. Who are those people in your lives that you can build a relationship with Tell them about Jesus. Invite them to church, right? Like, I'll make it easier. You bring them here, I'll tell them about Jesus. Man, I love doing that. Reach our neighbors. And then, yes, we, we also reach the nations, right? Acts 1-8, where does it end? The ends of the earth, right? Everywhere. Everywhere, right? We don't stay local. We also go global, right? We look for ways to partner with God's work across the globe. Man, he's doing some really cool stuff. There's some really cool people in a lot of really interesting ways, right? And we want to partner with that. 
Now, look, let's be honest, let's be real. As a, as a church that's younger, as a church in, in the, you know, not in, in age, but in like our, how long we've been around, that's what I'm talking about. So we're younger in how long we've been around as a church and the limited resources and people that we have. Look, there's only so much we can do, right? We gotta, we gotta crawl before we can walk too, right? And, and run, like there's, there's steps to this. But we do wanna seek and find out ways where we can partner with God's work across the globe. And look, eventually the, the hope is that, man, we can start doing some global mission trips at some point. Like that, that's definitely the hope and the goal and things that we are working towards and trying to figure out and trying to build partnerships, right? Like these are things that the elders and I are praying about, talking about, looking into. We've had meetings with people. We've had conversations. Like that's ongoing stuff, okay? The goal is that we will partner with God's global work. But again, we want to do this together with the local work too. We want to reach our neighbors and we want to reach the nations. We don't want to sacrifice one for the other. We, we want to do both because that's what God has called us to do. And the, the last part there is relational discipleship. Again, this is part of how we grow is as we as a church need to connect in relationship, relational discipleship. That means discipleship within the community, right? With one another. And we've got some, some structured, you know, corporate ways that we do this. Where our, our primary ways are, are through our community groups and our Sunday school. Community groups and Sunday school. Man, if I can encourage you just to do one thing in terms of discipleship here at Haynes Creek, pick one of those, right? Pick one of those. Our community groups meet uh, throughout the week in homes. We've got two groups right now. One is led by Lee Parker over there. The other one is led by Ken Wynn. These are two of our elders, Ken serving in the baby room right now. But we've got two awesome, amazing groups. The hope is that we launch more groups this year and in the coming years, right? We don't want to just stay at two. We want to launch more and have more. And these community groups are sermon-based, discussion-based small groups. So each week you are gathering together in that group and discussing that week's sermon, that week's passage, and digging deep into what that is. Because look, we can only, I know, I preach for a long time. You're like, how much more can you say? Oh, there's a lot more, y'all. There's a lot. I cut a lot, okay? I cut a lot. There's so much here. This is the word of God we're talking about, right? There's, it's the multifaceted wisdom of God. God. There's a ton here. And being in community groups allows us to focus more on that practical application. Like, what does this actually mean for me right now in my life, in my relationships? How do I live this out? That's what community groups are for, right? It, it, it fosters relationship. It allows you to build community with one another and grow together in the word of God, right? So that's what community groups are. Sunday school it meets every single week, y'all. Every single week and is led by uh, a couple of our elders and other lay people, like incredible, awesome leaders teaching and digging into God's word, walking through the Bible week in and week out. So if you're like, man, weeknights don't really work for me. After church doesn't really work for me. Uh, do you have something before church? Yes, our awesome Sunday school class. Like jump into that. If that works best for you, jump in there. If you really love Jesus, you'll do both. And some of y'all do both. Every single week you're here in the morning for Sunday school and you're there at weeknights at small group. And that is awesome, man. Praise God for that. Praise God. But here's what I'm saying. I, as, a, as your pastor, I'm just asking, pick one. Pick one. So if you're not yet in a group, we got this, we'll put the slide up. I mean, you can sign up for a group today. You can go to hanescreek.com groups right there. You can sign up for one of our two groups. If you want to know more, if you, want to, if you have questions about that, please, please come and find me. All right, so those are our primary methods of discipleship, community groups and our Sunday school class. Then we have other things, right? We do other things throughout the year, these Bible studies and these classes. Like this summer, we taught a class about how to read and study and apply scripture to your life. We'll do more of those kind of things throughout the year. And then uh, we've also done men's and women's Bible study. And I'm really excited to, to tell you this. Women of Haynes Creek, we are starting women's Bible study up again uh, in a few weeks. So you've got that slide up there. Yep, we're going to start uh, on February 28th. It's going to meet on Wednesday nights at 7.15 uh, p.m. It is going to be led by my wife, Kendra. It's going to meet at our house. And we're going to 
the ladies are going to walk through a 10-week Jen Wilkin Bible study called Abide. And that is a study on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So we're really excited about this. It's going to be an awesome time. Um, so again, if you are interested at all in that, you can even sign up right now if you want to. You can go to hainscreek.com slash abide and sign up right this very second. But that is going to get started at the end of February, Wednesday nights for 10 weeks. It's going to meet and gather. It's going to be an incredible time. So ladies, if you're looking for something additional beyond community groups or Sunday school, a way to, to, to dig into relationships with other women at Haynes Creek, this will be a perfect opportunity for you. So we're really excited about that. And look, then we have other things that we've got going on, too. We're going to start up our men's D group soon. So men, if you're looking for deeper accountability in your life, if you're looking for that more life-on-life relationship, that ironing, sharpening iron where you got other guys in your life that you're being open and honest and vulnerable with that are praying for you and holding you accountable, our very first D group for the men is going to meet at my house on uh, Thursday night, January 18th. So for those of you that are already signed up, that's where we're getting started. For those of you that maybe you're just now hearing this or are interested in it, please come find me. I'll give you all the details for that. But again, that is going to start January 18th for the men who are looking for more of that, that deeper accountability, relational discipleship that we're talking about. Okay. So those are things that we got going on here corporately as a church to help us plug into this relational discipleship. So my encouragement to you, find something and get plugged in, right? Find something and get plugged into relational discipleship. It's important. All right. So that's, that's who we are as a church. Right? So what's our vision? What are we trying to do? What are we about? It's this. It's this. We want to be a church that loves God, loves people, and makes disciples. And I truly believe that if we do these eight things, if we are living these things out as individuals and as a corporate body of believers, I truly believe that we will accomplish the vision that God has given us. So this is who we are as a church. Now, next week, we're going to talk about, okay, what does that mean specifically for 2024? How are we going to seek to live this out? What are some goals, some initiatives, some things that we're praying for, seeking, trying to do? What does that look like for, for this year specifically? So we're going to talk about that next week. But, but high-level church, this is who we are. This is what we want to be about. This is what drives everything for us. This is why we exist. This is why this church is here. It's to love God, love people, and make disciples. And look, here's the thing. This only happens. God has designed it in such a way, and this is kind of crazy to me when I think about it, honestly, but he has designed it in a way where his mission, his worldwide vision for this entire globe, for all the people that he's seeking to save, the way he set it up is for that to be accomplished through us, through his people, through each one of us living this out. So if we're going to be a church that lives out the mission of God, that accomplishes the vision that he's given us, it requires all of us doing this together. And look, that's why we need you, church. We need you. We need you bought in. We need you plugged in. We need you both feet in. And again, I'll say this one more time. If you're like, man, this is, this is not for me. I hear what you're saying, Travis. Good for y'all. Y'all do that, but I'm just, you know, I can't get behind that. That's fine. That's fine. I understand. I want you to be at a place where you can plug in, though, right? Like, don't stay just kind of halfway out there or barely connected. Like, that's not God's vision for your life. That's not what Scripture calls us to. He wants us deeply connected and plugged into a local church. So if that's here, if this is your church, I'm asking you, let's jump in two feet, fully bought in, fully plugged in. Let's do this, y'all. 
let's do this. And I really think God's got big plans. He's got big things that he wants to accomplish in this area through this church. And I want y'all all to be a part of this. So let's do this together. Let's live this out this year and beyond, and let's see what God does. Let's see what God does, y'all. I'm so excited about what God has for us. But look, the reality is we can't do it without you. We need you. We need you. So if you're here, this is your church, jump in, and let's do this thing. All right, so that's what we got today. Uh, and again, next week, we're going we're gonna to dig into what this actually means for us going into the next year. But as we end today, we're going to end like we do every single Sunday. Every single week when we gather church, we, we take a moment and we pause and we celebrate and we participate in communion. So if you're here and you're a believer, you've put your faith in Jesus, this is the time for you. And hopefully through this time, we've been reminded of the big things that God has invited us into, that he's called us into, this incredible life of loving him, loving others, and making disciples. And that is all possible because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he gave his life for ours. And that's why we celebrate communion every single week, because we want to have a moment where we pause and we remember and we celebrate and we worship Jesus for all that he's done for us. So believers in the room, as we do every single week, I want to encourage you, take time, prepare your hearts, spend some time in prayer, in worship, maybe just in, in celebration and in praise of Jesus and who he is and all that he's done. And then as you're ready, you come to either side of the room, you take the cup, you eat and you drink and you remember the sacrifice of Jesus. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, for who you are for your grace and your mercy in our lives, Lord. Jesus, mold us and shape us into the church that you want us to be, Lord, as we seek to live out your clear commands, your clear vision in your word, Lord. Would you help us? Would you empower this work, Lord? We cannot do this apart from you. We need your strength. We need your vision. We need your clarity. We need your wisdom, Jesus, on how to do this, Lord. So would you guide us? Would you continue to lead us? Or would you continue to help us be faithful to your calling and who you want us to be, Lord? So we love you. We thank you. We give you all the praise and glory and honor. In your name we pray.